thing about living in Cookville. There are apartments, there are houses, there are restaurants, there are businesses that are going up all the time. All these buildings have some things in common. They're different, right? Restaurants, homes, apartments, businesses, they're different, but they all have some things in common. One thing that new buildings have in common before construction starts is you have to have a floor plan and you have to have a blueprint. There has to be a blueprint and a floor, floor plan uh, before they start the work. And blueprints are drawings. They show the relationship between rooms, between spaces in a building. They show how traffic patterns should flow. Uh, and it lets you see the overall features of the building that the builder wants to bring into existence. That's what a blueprint or a floor plan does. It shows you what the spaces, the rooms, the traffic pattern. It gives you an idea of this is what this building, whether it's a home, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's an apartment, this is what uh, we want it to look like. When we're looking uh, up until Valentine's Day, through Valentine's Day, we've been looking at relationships. And last week we looked at dating relationships, and we're going to continue that today. And then we'll jump into husbands next week, and then wives the week after that. Uh, and then we'll look at the, the family. What about families that go beyond husbands and wives? But today we're going to finish looking at dating. But as you saw last week, the principles for dating uh, relationships in the Bible are not things that you just do and you date and then they go away. It's actually incorrect. And that's where a lot of relationships mess up. Things that go on in dating, the Lord actually in, intends for a lot of that to continue. It will look different. It should improve as you grow together. But oftentimes we neglect those things and they start to go away and our relationships begin to shrivel when God wants them to expand. And it's God's Word that gives a blueprint, a floor plan for what God desires and wants. Now, I mentioned last week, a lot of the blueprint, a lot of the floor plan that God desires for relationships comes through direct commands, both Old Testament and New. A lot of it is direct commands. You should do this, you should not do this, right? So that's, and a lot of the Apostle Paul, a lot of his stuff is just direct commands. This is what you should do. But we saw, right, in the first message in this series, if you were here, we saw that relationships are more than that because when Adam saw Eve, he didn't issue a bunch of commands to her. Uh, now, later it becomes clear when they, when they eat the fruit they're not supposed to, there are a lot of good questions about how Adam uh, possibly failed, uh, failed in that moment of sin, right? Eve, Eve ate that fruit, but, but Adam, there's all kinds of questions about what he did and didn't do. Culpability by both of them, they're involved in that, and some of that could have involved not saying, hey, this is reminding, saying, stating, both of them, this is what we should or shouldn't do. So there's a place even the very beginning for remembering the commands of God. But when Adam first sees Eve, he doesn't look at her and spout off a bunch of commands. He doesn't look at her and give her a list of rules. He looks at her and utters the first love song, the first poem, the first exclamation of the beauty of another human being. He says, flesh of my flesh and bone of my 
bone. So yes, the Bible is full of direct commands for relationships. But relationships take more than direct commands. Good relationships, listen, good relationships involve deep desires and very deep human elements that God has placed there. They are a part of loving another person. And so what Song of Solomon does, that we looked at this week, and we're going we're gonna to look there this week, and then we'll move to Paul next week. But what Song of Solomon does, it reminds us. It reminds us, smack dab in the middle of all these commands and scriptures, you have this, this poem. You have this love song that the Holy Spirit inspires to be put in the Word of God, to be uttered by this man and this woman. And as we'll see this week, it even includes their friends The Holy Spirit moves for that to be given in the midst of all these commands. And I think part of that is to a reminder that relationships are more than just do this and don't do that, accomplish this and don't accomplish that. Relationships are more than that because I can promise you, if the devil can shrink your relationship with another person to be nothing but the bare bones of do this and don't do that, he will be very satisfied. He will be very satisfied happy is if in your relationships you cease to live in the joy that God means uh, for there to be between you and another person if you've entered into that. So Song of Solomon, it reminds us, it shows us again what God desires relationships to be like. Now last week was a fun week for me after the service. Uh, Yes, some of the teens told me that they, yes, I took notes, I paid attention. I could not help but notice, and I have pointed this out to them. I'm not going to call them by name. But lo and behold, the pastor starts a series on relationships, and I saw a a guy that I thought, you know, I don't know if this kid's ever going to get a date, and I saw him with a date this week. I saw him in public. I guess it was a date. He was with a a girl alone, and it was obvious he did not want his pastor to come talk to him. (laughs) And so I just did this. I just went. Like, she wasn't looking at me. She wasn't looking at me. I was like, yes. You know, and he did not say, come on over. He did not do that. So I stayed away. And then uh, another individual. Things changed in his life this week. And I'm telling you, now I, I, God deserves glory for that, right? It's not because of the sermon, I'm sure, but God deserves the glory uh, that any of us wind up with another person. But I was pretty pumped about that. I was like, wow, all right, got this series going on, these these. Two guys, things are looking up for them a little bit, going good. But my favorite thing after last week was Brother Maddox. Maybe the oldest member of our church, possibly. He said to me after the service, and it was wonderful. He said, when you said, go to Song of Solomon, Brother Maddox said, I thought to myself, oh no, what's about to happen? And he said, and this is a guy, I mean, this is the oldest member of our church, by the way, who loved his wife very deeply. You talk to him. He, he loved his wife deeply. And he said, For, I thought, oh no, what's about to happen? And he said, that was good. That was good. Listen, if God is good, say amen. God is good. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to finish this dating stuff. Remember, it's not just for dating couples. It's what we're supposed to all be building on, expanding on. This is the, we're going to see some more of the blueprint given in poetic form. This is as much God's blueprint as the command stuff. And we're going to look at this blueprint and we're going to see some rooms, some spaces that God wants to go on in a dating relationship and then continue after that, all right? And we're going to do that by looking at chapter 1, verses 7 through 17. 
But we're actually going to we're going to start at verse 1 and reread it all. We're going to read the whole chapter so you can get a good feel again for what's going on. And then we're going to focus on verses 7 through 17. So go to Song of Solomon chapter 1 and let's read together. Let's read this chapter. Let's listen to this poem. Let's remember that this is much of the blueprint as anything else in the Bible and probably a part of the blueprint that we often neglect. So let's listen carefully to what these two lovers and their friends, because their friends are going to make an appearance in, in the end of this chapter, let's listen to what they have to say to one another and what God wants us to learn. All right, so let's look together. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 1. All right, this is the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. It starts out, starts out with his companion, starts out with the, uh, the, the female in the relationship. What does she say? Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Because of the savor of your good ointments, your name is as an ointment poured forth. Therefore, do the virgins love you. You're both good to look at, good to be with. I want to be with you. But you have inwardly, you have even more than just outward. You've got a good name. It's like a good ointment. Draw me and we will run after you. The king has brought me into his chambers, and we will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than wine. The upright love you. I am black, or I am dark, but comely. So I'm, I'm dark, I'm attractive. We talked about that. She's going to explain here. She's been working outside, been not able to take care of her body, like many of the other women that Solomon uh, could, have, could have chased after as the king's son. She says, I'm, I'm, she's insecure. She's admitting an insecurity. I'm black but comely. Oh, you daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. She's so insecure, she says, don't look at me. Look not upon me because I am black, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards. But my own vineyard I have not kept. She's, she's very insecure. But then look what, look what she says next. She moves from her insecurity. She's insecure, but she knows, I'm insecure about this, but I really want this relationship to happen. And so she says in verse 7, Tell me, tell me, O you whom my soul loves, where do you feed? Where do you take your flocks? Where do you make your flocks to rest at noon? For why should I be as one that turns aside by the flocks of your companions? I don't want to be where your friends are. I want to be where you are. And he answers her, Oh, if you know not, so now we get Solomon. If you know not, O you fairest among women, go your way forth by the footsteps of the flock and feed your kids beside the shepherd's tents. That's where I'm going to be. He tells her, says, look in that direction for me. I've compared you. And now she's given an insecurity. Look at how he responds. I have compared you, O my love, to a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are comely with rows of jewels. You're worried about your skin? Your cheeks are as beautiful as rows of jewels, your neck with chains of gold. We will make you borders of gold with studs of silver. And then she responds back. While the king sits at his table, my spikenard, and I'll tell you about that in, in, in a little bit, my spikenard sends forth the smell thereof. A bundle of myrrh is my well-beloved unto me. He shall lie all night, and between my breasts my beloved is unto me as a cluster of campire in the vineyards of, of, of Engadi. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. 
Behold, you are fair, my beloved. Yea, pleasant also. Our bed is green. And the beams of our house are cedar. And our rafters of fir. Now when you walk into a house, if you enter by the main door, right? So if you walk into a house, and if you enter by the main door, you usually have a little entryway and then a hallway. And then there are rooms all around the house. Now if, if, a, if, a, if, if the Girl Scouts come selling cookies, if an athletic team comes uh, selling coupons for local businesses, if, if a roofer stops by to see, hey, I'm look, I've seen your roof and it needs some work done, if those kind of people stop by, you usually either stand at the entryway or if you let them in, if you're comfortable doing that, usually don't let them in beyond the entryway or the hallway. And in our society, typically there are exceptions, but in our society, dating is where you kind of Feel the other person out. Maybe if you're smart, you usually go out with a group of people to begin with. You do some activities with others, and you start to get a feel for for how you think about them. And that's kind of the entryway. That's kind of the hallway. That's how our society does it. That's an entryway and a hallway, the sort of initial meetings to get a feel for, well, do do I want to let this person any deeper into my life? And then if you make that decision... If you, if, you, if you decide, yes, I, I'm attracted outwardly, inwardly to this person, I want to allow them deeper into my life, then they begin to move beyond the entryway into different spheres of your life. And in this poem, God shows us as another person begins to enter into your life, what does God expect? What does God want for you? What is best for you and that other person? And I want to share with you five aspects of God's blueprint. Five aspects of the biblical blueprint that God has for dating relationships that then blossom into marriage. Number one, number one is reciprocity. Reciprocity, now that's a big word that means mutual benefit. Would you say that after me? And I know it's, it's dreary. It, the sun's finally come out, but it's been dreary. It's been dark. So let's, let's get really loud and let's wake up. Say after me, mutual benefit. Reciprocity. God's goal in a relationship is not that one person may thrive and the other be miserable. God's goal is not that both parties be miserable. The devil wants both parties to be miserable. If not that, he wants one party to be miserable. God wants mutual benefit in a relationship for both people. Look at verse 7 again. Look at, look at how uh, this, this new part of this chapter starts. Tell me, O oh, you who my soul loves, where do you feed? Where do you make your flocks to rest at noon? For why should I be as one that turns aside by the flocks of your companions? So this lady, although she's insecure, she takes a leap of faith. And her leap of faith is she wants to know where Solomon is going to be. And so she asks him, Solomon, where are you going to be at? And Solomon tells her. He does not play, blow her off. He does not play a game with her. He does not say that I'm, I'm too busy. He doesn't ignore her in a playful flirting kind of way, Solomon tells her how he may be found. Now, he's kind of flirting with her. He doesn't tell her exactly where he's going to be, but he says, oh, if you want to find me, if you want to find me, go here and then go there and then look around. Look around and, and, and I can be found. I hate to say this, and I wish I did not have to say it, but it needs to be said. 
It's not okay to stalk other people who do not want you to stalk them. It is wrong. It is wrong to hound another person that has shown no interest in you. It is not okay to make other people uncomfortable after it is obvious that they're not interested in you. And I've seen this pastoring. This has happened a couple of times here at church. I've seen both an example, really, of two young men and one young woman who made other people very uncomfortable, even at church, because that person had, had done really all they could do without being very just rude to make it clear, I'm really not interested in pursuing anything with you. See, a relationship isn't just about you. There has to be reciprocity. It has to be mutual, mutual beneficial for both people. If the other person does not want to date you, and they show no interest, there's no attraction outer or inner in a romantic way that they want to continue with you, do not become a creeper. That doesn't help you. If you want to stalk people, stalk them on Facebook, not in person. Okay? Like, you can learn all you want to learn about them. But do not come to church. Although, I just can't resist saying this. When I used to sit up here... One of my favorite Sundays is when Tanner was still working day shift. And poor Lacey was over there. And this young man who does not attend here came for a few weeks. And he got his eyes on Lacey. And we were singing the first couple of songs. And he plopped down right beside Lacey, right beside her. And then we shook hands and we did all that. And Lacey moved to the middle of the pew. And he moved right along with her. Tanner, Tanner, I don't know if Tanner called the dude or what happened, but that stopped after a week. He, he, he figured it out. It's not okay to be a creeper. It's not okay to stalk people. If they are not interested, be a man and respect that. If they are not interested, listen, ladies, trust God enough that he's got somebody for you that you do not do that. You may actually convince someone to give you a chance who's not interested at all. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of flirting where they actually are interested, and I know that gets really confusing, and I'm so glad I'm married and I don't have to do that anymore. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about where maybe they're, they, they do like the inner you, but physically they're not quite as attracted yet, and that might actually happen. Or they are attracted to you outwardly, but they don't know the inner you yet, and they're trying to figure that out. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is they've clearly given the signal. I'm not interested in you, and I don't want to be around you. Listen, if you convince them, and it does happen, if you convince them, if it's that extreme, if you convince them to actually move forward with you, maybe, maybe they hit rock bottom in their life, maybe there's a, a major traumatic event that happens, and, and you swoop in in a way that actually is not godly, you can, you, can, uh, uh, you can encourage another person in a godly way when they're going through bad, bad times. But listen, I have seen too many times people that have taken advantage of others' misfortune and the person really wasn't interested in them, oftentimes that short-term devotion ends in resentment and it ends in anger. Now again, I'm talking about an extreme thing here, but it's also a reality. God wants reciprocity. He made relationships to be mutually beneficial. Second thing that God wants. Now remember, once you married... It's still supposed to be reciprocity. It's still supposed to be striving for mutual benefit for the two of you. 
Second thing when you enter in is affirmation. If you're dating someone, if you're going to look towards marriage to someone, there must be also the affirmation. Say that after me. Say affirmation. Now, look at verses 9 and 10. Look what happens, 9 and 10. Now, she's insecure, and she's expressed all this insecurity, but she takes a leap of faith and kind of says, well, I'm going to see anyway if he's interested in me. And what does he do knowing that he's insecure? We've all met the guys that know the girl is insecure, and they play on that to manipulate them, to get them to do what they want, to make them feel horrible so they can get anything they want out of that relationship. Women are also good at this, too. It works the other way. There are girls that know the insecurities of different guys, and they know how to get them in their hand, and they know how to play on that insecurity and get what they want. Is that what God wants? Absolutely not. No. God wants affirmation. Look at verse 9. How does he respond to her insecurities? Does he, does he manipulate that? No. He says, I have compared you, O my love, to a company of Pharaoh, of horses in Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are comely. They're beautiful. Rows of jewels, your neck in chains of gold. Listen, she expresses the insecurity. He responds to insecurity by affirming her worth, by complimenting her, by affirming that he desires her just as she desires him. In relationships, you have to be willing to encourage and nurture the other person in the relationship. And they need to do the same with you. Now, we live in a sarcastic age. I mean, we're an age of sarcasm. And sometimes we say things to people that are older than us. Sometimes we say things to people in positions of authority. I mean, it's in the school system. It's everywhere. We are very sarcastic. And we say things that, honestly, this is the way our world is different than the world 100 years ago, that people would not have said. They would not have done. But we're very sarcastic. We're very sarcastic. And we feel we have a, a right to do certain things. And so we can treat our elders a certain way. We can treat our school teachers a certain way. We can, we can do things that honestly do not honor what God's word says. And Christians fall into this too. And what's really sad is sometimes we feel like, well, I'm not sarcastic to my teachers. And I'm not sarcastic to elderly people. But then the person that's supposed to be closest to us, our husband, or our wife, the main way we engage with them is sarcasm. That is not what God wants. You can, have, you can joke around, and there's a place for limited sarcasm. The Apostle Paul uses some sarcasm, I mean strong sarcasm, in some of his letters. There's a place for it. But listen, especially those of, the, of us that are younger, we must fight. We must fight the pull of the flesh to treat the people that are most precious in our life with sarcasm. We must do better. We must, through the power of the Holy Spirit, allow God to create something better in us. So to everybody in this room, but particularly those that are 50 and under, listen, we've got to walk away from treating those that we love with sarcasm, and we must learn again this gift that God has called us to affirm these special people in our lives. If you are glad that Jesus does not respond to you and your sin with sarcasm, but he responds with love, say amen. So men step up to the plate. Quit using her insecurities against her. Wives, quit engaging with your husband in this sarcastic, hurtful way. Yeah, we act like it doesn't hurt. But you stay in a marriage with five, six, seven years of that, and you have just 
you have just destroyed the soul of another, whether they know it or not. He encourages her. He nurtures her. He sees her weakness and does not manipulate it for his advantage. He sees that weakness and he speaks the truth. Why does he mention Pharaoh's horses? I did not know this until this week. Apparently, Pharaoh's horses were always white Arabian horses. They were beautiful creatures. They were beautiful. And if you put these white Arabian horses together on his chariot, as he would ride about, people would be stunned by the beauty of Pharaoh's of his chariot. I mean, it just looked better than anybody else's because he's got these white, expensive Arabian horses that stood out. Solomon is telling the one who loves him, don't be insecure. Your dark skin makes you stand out. You do not look like all the other women that are around the court. You do not look like all the other women that do not have to work and labor. The sun has changed you in a way that I find beautiful because you are different. I love your difference. It is not a flaw. It is a unique beauty that I am drawn to. Sometimes people go through the attraction phase of dating only to find themselves in a spiritually and emotionally exhausting relationship. If you are already in a spiritually and exhausting relationship, get out before you are married. It is not God's plan for you to be in a life of misery. So before you make that commitment, if the attraction phase is you've moved beyond that and you are spiritually and emotionally exhausted because of the other person's behavior, that is not God's plan. When I pray for my boys, if marriage is in their future, and it may or may not be, but if it is, I do not want my boys to be in a marriage. I can tell you, from counseling people and other counselors in here, I think they could tell you, listen, there are a few things worse than being in a marriage that is just all the time spiritually and emotionally destructive. Before you take that step, listen, you need to use wisdom. You need to use godly judgment. Guys, you're 14, 15, 16, 17. Ladies, you're 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Yes, your, your emotions, your uh, your hormones, all this are out of control. But if you have been saved, the Spirit of God is already within you, and you need to listen to that Spirit and to God's Word. Amen, church? Listen. God wants reciprocity, and He wants affirmation in relationships. And then number three, He wants something that is different than we do today. God wants others to approve of your relationship. Approval, not just your own, but the approval of the godly who are invested in your lives. So I'm not talking about somebody you just see at church on Sunday and they're not, they're not investing in you. That's what I'm talking about. right? They probably need to just keep their mouth shut. But the people that are actually investing in your life have actually done things that show that they want what is good for you. The Bible, even in this poetic poem, shows that you need to listen to the counsel of the godly. Look at verse 11. This we, is the, this is the friends. He tells her how beautiful she is, and then the friends enter the poem, 
And they say to her, we will make you borders of gold with studs of silver. Why this introduction of the friends? Why are the friends getting involved? Listen, the approval of godly friendship matters. You want trouble? Listen to me, young men, young women. You want trouble? Pursue someone who troubles the godly people in your life. If they trouble the godly people in your life, you should at least be willing to listen and pray. Now again, one person might read your interest, your love interest wrong. They might have it wrong. And I could give you some funny examples from this church of people that at first were totally like, oh, do not, do not, do not. And they were wrong. They were wrong. So I'm not telling you just because one person has an issue with somebody or they, they have over-magnified some flaw or, or honestly, listen, there are some people that, that um, you know, there are some people that are going to think nobody's ever going to be good enough for you. I'm not talking about that person. But I am telling you that if there is an understanding among godly people that have invested in you that they are all worried about you moving forward with this person, you need to listen You see, God does not desire lukewarm followers. That's clear. God cannot be any clearer. In fact, it becomes evident that one thing that angers him more than hot or cold is the person that's just, eh, eh, you know God. Eh, my relationship with God. Eh, God hates that. Proverbs 12, 15 states, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man, a wise woman, listens to advice. Are your godly friends rejoicing in your relationship or are they flinching because of your relationship? Godly friends and family many times can see things we do not, especially during the attraction phase of dating. We're so infatuated we don't see. Sometimes it is the godly friend that is removed who sees what is actually going on. Pastors, teachers, spiritual leaders, those that do one-on-one, those that do small groups, those that teach your Sunday school classes, you should go ask them, what do you think about this person that I'm pursuing? And if they love you, they'll be careful. And they'll be kind. And they'll use wisdom in how they say it. Because they don't want to ruin the relationship with you. But pastors, preachers in this room, Sunday school teachers, small groups, mentorship, if you're not willing to look at somebody and say to them, this is big trouble when it is, then you don't need to mentor them. You don't need to shepherd them. You don't need to teach a Sunday school class. That's a bold statement, Pastor. Yeah, but I've sat in my office too many times with people that somebody long before me should have looked at him and said, what is going on? What are you doing? You see, that's not just a pastor's job. It is every believer's responsibility to, to sometimes tell somebody else, this person is going to destroy your life if they don't change. And if they don't change, God does not desire lukewarm followers, and he definitely doesn't desire for two, two lukewarm people to get together and, and go even further down a road. 
Listen, if you've ever had somebody speak the truth to you and it hurt, but you were glad they told you the truth, say amen. That was weak. That was weak. Because because we're afraid. I want to tell you something. And I mean this. And it'll hurt. It'll hurt. But I mean this. And I said this in a meeting to the deacons several, several months ago. The two deacons. I gave them a scenario. And I said, if my boys enter into this situation and I don't know about it or I'm dead and gone, something's happened to me, if this happens to my boys, you better tell them the truth about what it's going to do to their life. You better tell them the truth if I'm not here to tell them the truth. God does not want you to engage in this sarcasm and this put down and these people that manipulate relationships. God does not want that. He wants better. He wants reciprocity. He wants affirmation. He wants you to listen to the wisdom of godly approval. Number four. Look at number four. The fourth thing that God desires in a relationship that is working for him is God desires initiative. Initiative by both people. This ties into the reciprocity. Look at verses 12 through 14, all right? Now, she's going to kind of crush on Solomon really hard here. She's crushing hardcore. Listen to what she says, verse 12. While the king sits at his table, my spikenard sends forth the smell thereof. A bundle of myrrh is my well-beloved unto me. He shall lie all night between my breasts. My beloved is unto me as a cluster of campire and vineyards of Ingedi. She is crushing. She's saying, Solomon. He, see, she's, she said her insecurity. And he has turned that around into affirmation. And when, she, when he takes her insecurity and he turns that into affirmation, oh, man, like she's swooning now. She is just like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe he did this. He didn't manipulate me like all the other guys. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't use that against me like all the other guys. He turned what I'm most worried about into an affirmation, and then she really starts to crush, and she says to him, this spikenard, she says, you know that, see, that was like perfume. It's a fragrant, fragrant object that a woman would wear. I don't know necessarily like a necklace, but think of a necklace with a fragrant object that's there. And she says, Solomon, you are like that fragrant object around my neck. Solomon, you are the sweet fragrance of my life. She says, I don't want to remove this fragrance. I want it to lay there all night. I want, I want it to be there all night long. Solomon tells her in verses 8 through 10, he then responds by telling her that she's a knockout. And she's now telling him how great he is. Both parties are taking the initiative to move things forward. Married or dating. If you or the other person are not taking initiative to care for one another, your relationship is already dying. You see, here's the thing. In a fallen world, life tends toward decay and death. That is the heaviness of the curse. On its own, anything good in this world will move towards death and decay. That's, that's what happens in a fallen world. So that is why, as I mentioned the first sermon, as one psychologist said, and I agree with this, relationships are co-created. God is the creator, 
But in your relationship, you're either continually taking initiative to co-create this beautiful thing that God wants, or you're not. And if you're not, you don't have to do anything else. Because the natural tendency is just death and decay. That is the curse of the fall. But see, Jesus did not let us stay in death and decay. He took the initiative. In Revelation, that beautiful chapter tells us no one else could even take the initiative. And God, to ensure that we did not stay in death and decay and head towards hell, He took the initiative to leave heaven and to come and save us. If you're glad for that, say amen. So in your relationships, if you don't want them to die, if you don't want them to decay, then no, you can't save the soul of the other person. Only Jesus can do this. But you too must take initiative, both of you, to co-create under the leadership of God what he desires. You see, here's the blueprint. But you have to engage with God in creating this relationship that God says, this is my will for you. So, Five things. First four, reciprocity, affirmation, approval, initiative. And then number five that God wants in relationships. Number five is purity. The room of purity. So let's just bring it right home. And by the way, this isn't just young people. This can be anybody who's divorced Spouse is already deceased. Definitely young people. Listen, let's just cut right through all the bull of this world. Where do many Christian relationships get in trouble? Whether it's teenagers, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-years-old. I don't want to really think past 50 and 60, but whatever. Where do they get in trouble? You get two people alone in a secluded place, Christian or not. Get two people alone in a secluded place like a car or a living room with nobody there but you and your love. The snuggling starts, the hands wander, the lips meet, and the purity is out the window. Alone in secluded indoor spaces, the temptation goes up by at least a thousand percent. And this is what is so sad about this poem. Youthful Solomon knew this. So instead of seducing this love, who many people believe is probably his first wife, the first love, instead of seducing his love to meet him in a secluded building, which he would have had access to as the son of a king, instead of going out with her friends and throwing up some tents, and seducing this woman to come and to be with him, instead of engaging in the sin that his father David and his mother Bathsheba had engaged in that led in so much destruction to the people of God, instead of doing this, what does Solomon do? Look at verses 16 and 17. What does he say to this young woman who wants to find him so they can spend time together? He says, Behold, you are fair, my beloved. You are pleasant. But our bed is green. We will be outside in the grass. The beams of our house are cedar and our rafters of fir. They are clearly going to move into a deeper relationship, ending with marriage. But until then, 
until then, and by the way, you get deeper in a relationship. I mean, there's some things you do talk about before you get married that, are, that probably need to be discussed before you get married. So it's not just a total shock when you first come together. And Solomon says, until that happens, the grass, the cedars, the sky, that will be our house. Because we can't, she's already said, you're like that sweet fragrance, and I want you to, I want, I want that fragrance to be there all night. This is a poem. This is a poem. And Solomon's saying, until that can happen, the grass, the trees, the sky, this will be our meeting place. Can you get in trouble outdoors? Absolutely, absolutely. But it's harder. It's harder to get in trouble outdoors. It'd be harder for even the king, you know, son of the king, it'd be harder because all these other people are with their flocks and doing their stuff. They would have to see here's the thing about outdoors. You gotta put you gotta put some real effort into that. But you get two people alone in a house, you get two people alone in an automobile, you don't have to put in much effort to get in trouble. Trouble will come for you. See, this poem is great. Because it reminds us that physical intimacy is not wrong. God made us. God made sex. It's not wrong. You're not gross. You're not evil. You're not perverted because you have a deep desire for physical intimacy. That, that's not the problem. But what you must remember is that fulfillment is found in marriage. The marriage bed is undefiled. But be careful of short-circuiting that. You must take the initiative to not short-circuit that. Men, do not put the woman you love in a compromising position. Ladies, do not put that young man, that older man, in a compromising position. You see, we do not just maintain purity. We must pursue Purity. God has a perfect relationship that He wants for you. Perfect in the sense of He wants there to be reciprocity, affirmation, the approval of the godly. He wants you both to take the initiative. In a day and age where even the kids' movies athletic teams the drama clubs the small kid modeling type stuff the cheerleading stuff there's really nothing in our world that the devil has not got his hands in to undermine any sense of purity You can go to a third or fourth grade AAU basketball tournament and the songs that will be playing in the background that are being put in those kids' minds. It's not purity. It's not purity. And they don't understand it yet, but it's going deep within them. Those jokes that we laugh at in kids' movies because we get it and they don't, why is that there? Well, part of it's there so an adult will enjoy the movie, but... Trust me, man, these, 
these people are not working for our king. And they have other purposes and other intentions. I'm thankful. I'm thankful the elementary school that my kids go to. The first meeting, they gave a list. And it wasn't very long, it was a very short list. But they gave two or three things that they said, hey, you know, we're not going to just come down on you. But guys and girls, here's some things we don't want you to wear at our school or do. And then the principal did a great job. She said, we don't want you doing this in elementary school because we want you to wait till you get a little bit older and let it be fun and let it be exciting then as you enter into a new stage of your life. But let's not make that part of elementary school. As a parent, I sat there and I just gave God glory for that. Because the devil has his hands in everything. And you do not just maintain purity. You must pursue purity. Now here's what the devil wants to do. He wants to make sure this house is never built. He wants to make sure this never occurs. But here's what we're going to see next week. God not only wants this house built, but then he wants to come in and do an expansion once you're married. Once you're married, what God wants to do is not for the house to fall in upon itself, not for that to occur. God wants to take this and God loves you so much that he wants to expand your house. By the way, I love when Jesus tells the disciples, I have gone to prepare a place for you, right? A mansion, a place with many rooms. I've, I've gone to where there's, there's room for everybody. What's awesome about that imagery of what God has gone to do is this means as many people as want to enter into his house, he will keep expanding the house. He will keep building. There will be more and more and more and more rooms in the mansion of God. There will be space in the new creation for everybody. God will keep building and building and building and building. If that's good news, say amen. But that's not what the devil wants. So I want you to listen to this quote. And then Tanner's going to come sing. And young person, I don't want you to be afraid. Sometimes it's good to nail some things down. Sometimes it's good to get in an altar and say, God, help me. Do not be embarrassed of that. Do not be ashamed of that. Older couple is dating. Don't be ashamed to get in an altar and ask God to help you maintain what he wants. Husband that has been way too sarcastic with your wife. Listen, just like I said Sunday night, if you were here last Sunday, if you, if you read about the kingdom of God, what they talk about, repentance is always a doorway. Always a doorway to entering into that actual kingdom. And if you're a part of that kingdom, then repentance is a way of life. And husbands, if you have been sarcastic with your wife, do not be ashamed to get in an altar and ask God to help you. Wives, if you've been sarcastic with your husband, do not be ashamed to pray together to say we are going to strive to mutually create what God wants in a relationship. Brother Kerry Higgins told me last Sunday before I read this, I said, I know that's kind of a different sermon for a baby dedication and type thing. And, and he and I were talking and we agreed. There are a lot of things preachers talk about. And truth is, this stuff for a lot of people is what a lot more sermons should probably be about. Do not be ashamed to trust God with one of the most precious things you'll ever have, the love of another person. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said, Imagine yourself as a living house. 
Well, that's good because Peter says we're living stones. We're living structure. So that's not hard for Christians. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild your ha- that house, right? Because sin has destroyed it. God comes in to rebuild the house. At first, perhaps, you understand what he is doing. He gets the drains right. God stops the leaks in the roof and so on. And you knew, right, when you got saved, you knew that those jobs needed doing and you weren't surprised. But presently, God starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts. And it hurts abominably. And it does not seem to you to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house than the one you thought of. God is throwing up a new wing here. He's putting on an extra floor there. He's running up towers. He's making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace because he intends to come and live in it himself. My friends, God dwells in individual hearts But he is present also in his gathered church for worship. And he is present in couples who have been united by a love of Christ following his spirit. Let's let God do a bigger work in your relationship than you could have imagined. Let's trust his blueprint. In a day and age where everybody else's house is falling apart, let's trust the blueprint of God in good times and bad. And let's watch God expand relationships into palaces. If you believe God can do that, say amen. Let's stand together. Brother Tanner, come on. Let's stand together. The Holy Spirit has spoken to you. I can't respond for you. You, your wife, whatever, whatever you need to do today, listen, you do it. We're not coming back tonight. This is it. You heed the Spirit of God this morning. Lord, Father God, thank you for Song of Solomon. Thank you for this poem that is beautiful, but also full of instruction if we will read it wisely and carefully. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that illuminates your word. Lord, may it illuminate hearts this morning. Lord, if there's a single person that is struggling with repentance, if there's one that's fallen into sin, Lord, may they come today and seek the grace of the Lord to pursue purity. Lord, if there is a husband or wife, their relationship long ago ceased to be mutually beneficial. Lord, help them to seek your love and your mercy, your renewal. Father God, I ask these things in Jesus' name.